and welcome to episode number 14 of the Lines Podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by some of the brightest minds in all of the gaming industry. This week, I have with me Brett Colson and Eric Ramsey, and we have found a way to keep Dustin Gauker off of this podcast. Guys, he sent me messages begging me to come back on the podcast this week. He's like, Matt, please let me back on the podcast this week. And I said, you know what? No, we had such a good time last week. We had such a great podcast last week. Episode 13 might have been the best episode of all the 13 episodes that we've done that I said, you know what? You, you can sit on the sidelines for another week. How do you guys feel about that? Let's keep the streak no going. There. Yeah. yeah. I mean, thanks for thanks for kicking him out. It's nice to hang out with you guys again. Yeah, I mean, listen, maybe we'll have a crazy four-man pod one day, and maybe that can be, be... I know, I know. Maybe we'll have a crazy one of those, but instead we'll stick this week with the three of us, guys. Thanks for being here. Of course, guys, we are on iTunes, so please subscribe, rate, review the five stars. Tell us how handsome we are, how amazing our voices sound, all of those different things like that. How informative we are, it certainly helps. It gives us some cred, and we'll continue to get people to listen to this podcast so we appreciate it a ton we'll have the quick hits here to start things off like normal then we're going to move into a little bit of controversy over at FanDuel Sportsbook at Meadowlands be a nice little conversation there the World Series of Poker set a ton of records this summer we'll talk about those things and maybe why that happened and then we'll kind of round things out not a super busy week this week but uh, DraftKings did come out and on the DFS side of things went ahead and released their first NFL contest and we'll talk about that and one of the things that kind of stuck out to Brett and I as we did a little research on our end but quick hits here college football starting in less than a month Eric what is going on with Mississippi obviously located there in the heart of college football land SEC two big schools in Mississippi State and Ole Miss within the state you gotta think they want to get going by college football season knowing that that's going to be so massive for them when it comes to handle yeah, college football actually uh, came up more than once during the uh, the lawmaking process there. It's going to be a huge thing. We don't really know what's going on down there. Uh, the, you know, MGM originally tweeted July 21st for a tentative launch, then deleted that. Uh, that kind of came and went without happening, obviously. We didn't really know until a few days before that date whether or not it was going to happen. We still don't really have a good timeline. Uh, you know, Beau Rivage is eyeing up maybe next week. Regulators are saying by September, hopefully. We, I don't really know. I can't tell you. You know, um, Brett, one of the things that you and I have have, have kind of joked about here and there is that, you know, college football where where you live up in your neck of the woods, uh, you know, unless someone's kind of like a diehard Penn State fan or something like that, isn't nearly as big as the NFL. But I'm actually going to be pretty curious when the numbers start to roll out as to as to the percentage of the handle in these kind of southern states, specifically, uh, obviously Mississippi is going to be the first one to get going here. But, you know, surrounded by Louisiana and Alabama and Tennessee, where they all are just huge, huge college football guys. going to be pretty interesting to see how the breakdown comes between NFL and college football. Hey, man, don't sleep on the University of Buffalo. All right. <laughs> this is our year. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see that first week of take in uh, in college football, because I, it's not it's not full of a big key game. So I think you're going to see a, a little slow. I mean, it's still college football. People are going to be want to be firing, but I think once we get into like the, the actual meat of, of the schedule, we'll start to see a, a, a better, a better example of what is going to be, is going to happen week to week. And obviously then, you know, NFL starts two weeks later and we'll, we'll start to, to really get into uh, what we hope is going to be a massive, massive industry. 
do yeah. keep your expectations in check, though. Remember that in Mississippi, it's going to be uh, it'll be land based only. There's there's 28 casinos in the state, but you're going to have to go to a casino to place a bet. Um, most of them not located near the big universities. So. So, yeah, at least manage your expectations here for the for the rollout uh, in the brick and mortar venues. Yeah, or- I mean, I, mean I, I actually I mean, they're when you look at it, I mean, the the whole these whole states basically are divided. Uh, I wouldn't expect you and your uh, in your northern roots to have any idea what it's uh, what that's <laughs> wow. like, Eric. So um, wow. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, listen, these whole states are, are absolutely college football crazed. So it doesn't really matter the where you're at. I mean, you're either a Mississippi State fan or an Ole Miss fan, or if you're kind of on the perimeter, maybe you're a, a guy that, that move there from Louisiana and you're an LSU guy or you're an Alabama guy, something like that. But I mean, everyone's got their team. Everyone's got someone they're going to be rooting for. And certainly when that egg bowl rolls around, it's Mississippi state versus Ole Miss. That game could be absolutely bonkers at these casinos. I'm sure they're going to be smart enough to run special promotions to, to get people into town, uh, offer, you know, special room rates, different things like that to, to get people there for these big college football weekends. If they're not going to the games themselves. So I would think that's going to be in the, you know, in the season, and MGM plans of the world, but you know, who knows? So sometimes something seems so incredibly obvious to us and, and not necessarily to them. <laughs> Looking here, Derek Jeter, I want you, uh, Brett, I want you to tell me about old J- Derek Jeter. A, a New York Post article came up about him doing some betting himself. Yeah, so former Yankee Phil Hughes, a uh, former pitcher, he went on the Pardon My Take podcast this week, took a stroll down memory lane, talked about his time with the Yankees a decade ago, uh, shared some stories about his former Yankee teammates, including one Derek Jeter. And this this was kind of cool because I feel like Jeter's persona as a teammate and a captain is a bit of a mystery, even though that's a big part of his legacy with the Yankees. Um Hughes was pretty short uh, on the Jeter talk, but one thing we learned is that uh, old Captain Clutch, not so clutch capping college (laughs) football games and betting with his teammates. According to Hughes, Jeter liked to do small wagers now and then, but he was a he was such a competitor that if he lost, he would pay you in pennies. Now, Hughes said these bets were usually for around one hundred dollars and Jeter would pay the next day, but always show up with a bag of pennies, which is pretty funny. I always enjoy these stories from inside the clubhouse, especially when gambling is involved. Uh, we, we know there's a lot of that going on in the NBA. Some of the current and former Warriors enjoy their their poker, and there's, there's a lot of athletes that uh, get their, their gambling fix in during the season. Uh, my main takeaway from this, though, is why would anyone take action from this prick? If he's showing <laughs> up, I don't care how big a fish he is, don't come back with a bag of coins. The only way I would allow this is if he actually went to the bank himself and walked out of there with 10,000 pennies. That would be pretty amazing, actually. I, I got to be honest. I don't really hate on the paying in pennies thing. I think that is like a – I think that's kind of a baller <laughs> move, to be honest with you, because – You, you would. You would think it's a baller here's, move. Here's the other thing is he's not going to get those pennies himself. He's sending an assistant to go get those pennies. So it's of like – this is, is. Yeah. I mean, this is this is not Dieter, – Jeter just shows up to the park. The pennies are already waiting on him at the locker to pay out, things like that. I mean, listen, that's, that's a pretty baller move. It's the thing you like joke about doing with your friends when you lose a bet and then you never actually do it because it's a dick move. I, I I don't know how you can say this is a baller move. I don't I'll give him a pass because he's Derek Jeter. I'm a fan. He's the, the consummate teammate. It's a practical joke, but don't do this to your friends. Listen, don't do it. Listen, we always joked about doing it. We didn't do it because it's a hassle to go to the bank and get the pennies. That's why we didn't do it. <laughs> don't too. act like don't don't act like you don't do it out of like courtesy to your friends. The only reason you didn't do it is because it's a hassle, but he didn't have to do it himself. He sends a, a person to go do it for him. So yeah, I mean, 
doesn't want us doesn't want to know how to lose yeah. with grace. You know, yeah. there's there's a certain grace to losing that, that you guys could learn. I think. What if what if you lose the hundred hundred dollar bet, but he pays you, but it's like a hundred and five dollars, but it's in pennies. So like he basically pays <laughs> you for the trouble of you having to go cash the pennies. What do you think about that? Uh, five dollars. Nope. That's. <laughs> he's paying me five dollars to stack those things up and take them down. No, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, no yeah. thanks. If you guys are following what's been going on here, the kind of got an early start on all this. It's called VSIN. It's the Vegas Stats and Information Network. They have set up camp at the South Point Casino here in Las Vegas. It's run by Brett Merce, Brent Busberger. Um, he is uh, when, once he retired, moved to Vegas. Of course, he's famous for always kind of making it's just, you know, kind of off the cuff comments about the, the line and spread and totals and different things like that whenever he was broadcasting games. And uh, now he's doing it basically every single day here on his own network called VEASAN. Uh, the network made headlines this past week here. Brett, Brett what, what, did, what did he do to uh, make some headlines here? Yeah, so Ryan Howard and his, his Philly-based investment firm uh, reportedly invested just shy of a million dollars into VSIN. Uh, a press release stated that the firm is going to help VSIN create and distribute compelling and actionable sports gambling content across a growing number of plas- platforms. So as sports betting expands, so does VSIN. The company apparently looking to expand its video capabilities, its data offerings. And it's cool to see a pro athlete get involved with a project like this. Uh, someone sharp, unlike Derek Jeter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, primarily right now you catch VEASAN on uh, satellite radio. You can catch a live stream just on their website, but it looks like they're going to try and get some kind of over-the-top things going with some of these networks and maybe even a traditional television thing, a linear play down the line here. Um Eric, what do you think about a a 24-7 gambling network? I mean, I guess this is the big question, and they're going to be the guinea pig in this. I mean, we know ESPN is going to have programming. We know Fox is going to have programming, CBS. We know NBC. They're all going to have programming of some way, shape, or form. But, you know, again, it's going to be maybe an hour a day, maybe two hours a day, and then go a little bit heavy on on, on Saturday and Sunday mornings. But what do you think about 24-7 gambling content? Do you think it's overkill? Do you think it's needed? Do you think there'll be a desire for it? I, I, you know, I, I don't know, but I'll let the numbers speak. When they launched 18 months ago, they had three hours of content, just like you're talking about. They had a three-hour daily show. In 18 months, it's grown into a 24-7 news network that's now attracting some uh, some interest from investors. Uh, you know, they put out really good content. It's a sharp product. They have a subscription uh, model, too, for what's essentially a, a digital magazine that seems to be getting some traction. Um, yeah, it's not something that I'm super intrigued in because I'm not a very good sports better. Uh, but the content is is first rate. And yeah, there's a real appetite for this right now. Clearly, there was a rumor going around. I think believing it depends on who you believe as to where the rumor actually came from. But that FS1, there was some sort of leak that FS1 was going to be having a gambling show that also had Musburger involved. It was also going to be Clay Travis. It was also going to be. Uh, Carissa Thompson was going to be kind of like the traffic cop on that thing. Todd Furman, another guy who's done a bunch of programming here out of Las Vegas. But uh, looks like Brent came out, Brett, and, and, and said that that's actually not going to be the case, right? Yeah, that was a peculiar uh, foursome there. Uh, but I was intrigued, as were many who uh, commented on the story that we posted here on the lines. Come to find out it was all a lie or just misinformation. Mus- Musburger went on VSIN the next day, squashed it. He said he had very brief talks with FS1, but nothing came of it. Uh, so Musburger still going to be at, at VSIN, of course. 
And it sounds like he has agreed to be the radio guy for the Raiders, too. But yeah, which, but, leads, uh, which leads me to believe that that's probably going to kind of interfere with anything like that as well. Anyway, you know, I mean, like he's going to have to be doing prep for these games. And of course, he's still going to be doing stuff at VEASAN. So having a daily TV show, I'm not saying that it's out of the <laughs> out of the question for him to do that. But I mean, that that's a lot on a guy's plate. I mean, he's in his 80s at this point and and it, things going on. So I don't know. It seems, seems like a pretty full schedule for him. Is he in his 80s? Yeah, I think he's like 82. I think that guy is a machine machine. I, I was mean, just listening to him run through that clip you were talking about him reading that uh, that clip. He's just he's still just a joy to listen to. I mean, I could listen to him, you know, read the phone book. It's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing that he's the voice of gambling in the U.S. now, too. I love yeah. it. 79 guys. He is 79 years old. So, wow. yeah. So there you have it. So, I mean, it'd, it'd be a pretty full be a pretty full schedule. And of course, he is still, you know, the guy behind Vison. So there's 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 duties there as well. So uh, I don't know about all that. I mean, I definitely know we, we will see programming of some sort on FS1. We will see programming of some sort on NBC Sports Network, CBS Sports Network, you know, different things like that, how that all plays out. Uh, not really sure. There's a big, strong start to the Meadowlands handle 3.5 million in the first nine days. And Eric, the reason we say that's that strong is is basically because this is and we, we talked about this on the podcast last week. If you didn't listen, we'll bring it up again that this is really is kind of the the black hole of the sports calendar. So for them to kind of start that strong is it, pretty encouraging. Yeah, when we said this, you know, when Monmouth Park launched first, we we kind of said it was the sports, the black hole of the sports calendar. But when Meadowlands launch was really, really bad, they, uh, you know, the World Cup was over. Uh, All-Star break was coming up. Uh, four days of All-Star break really killed the baseball action. Uh, yeah, still three and a half million in handle through nine days, about 380K a day. Seems seems good. Again, we're working under the really, really small sample size here. Uh, early days, no mobile online betting. So hard to frame these numbers, but uh, in a vacuum seems seems good. Yeah, I mean, seems good. I mean, basically, if you're a sports better, you have the choice right now of of betting baseball or WNBA. I mean, we know WNBA gets, you know, point zero zero one percent of the handle of just about everything else out there. So when you look at those numbers, this is pretty strictly coming from just the one sport and not only the one sport, but the one sport in the middle of the long season. So this is kind of when people start to, to fade a little bit on baseball and are starting to turn their attentions to football. So uh, yeah, th those numbers themselves seem pretty promising to me. And, and, and overall, I think things are looking up now, that being said, we'll get to our main topic here. And one of the things that was going around on the internet, a ton, I'm sure if you follow the industry and even if you don't uh, follow, just maybe, maybe just even some sports people were kind of commenting on this as well. Uh, a guy took to Twitter and basically said there was a, a really long West coast game that went on a couple of nights ago, went into the 16th inning. Uh, when that went on into the 16th inning, well, what, you know, listen, on the East Coast, that goes really, really, really late because it goes really, really late over here on, on the West Coast whenever those games happen. And the the sports book at Meadowlands, the FanDuel branded sports book at Meadowlands, has a policy that they are going to close at one o'clock in the morning East Coast time. Well, this game obviously went longer than that. There were some people who went up to go cash tickets there. Some of the people's tickets got processed. Some of the other people were told to come back the next day. Um, people started kind of, you know, commenting on this and jumping up and down about this. Um, uh, you know, Brett, let, let me start with you on on this. This situation now we understand we're living in a regulated market. We understand that we're living in times of you. We don't want people just kind of doing things w whenever they feel like doing things that there should be set policies and and whatnot. Um, but 
the amount of traction that this has gotten, and we'll get into your your real opinion on this and Eric as well, but just just on a very, very surface level, the amount of traction that this got, did it surprise you how much traction this got, just this story that, that seems, at least on the surface level, not all that crazy? You know, normally, yes, but I think it's it, it picked up steam mainly because this was not the first time we've gotten a little controversy from the FanDuel Sportsbook. I mean, it just opened for business less than two weeks ago, and already this was the second bit of bad press the book was taking after the uh, high VIG numbers on opening day. Um, so, no, I, I really wasn't that surprised, but uh, the, the issue itself, I think, was overblown. Eric, one of the things that has been written at, at LSR, which is where you – uh, make your home the majority of the time. That's LegalSportsReport.com. Be sure and head over there. Any of the topics we talk about, TheLines.com, OnlinePokerReport.com, you can find all of the the real nuts and bolts, all the stuff there. Uh, there was an article that went up that was basically kind of blaming this on sportsbooks opening too quickly. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't necessarily agree with where the article kind of went from there. But do you think that this has anything to do with them opening quickly? Or do you think this was just kind of, you know, a little bit of an oversight here, growing pains type stuff and not not saying that that's acceptable. But do you do you lean that it's more that way as opposed to like, hey, they rushed to kind of get this thing going? I mean, there's some circumstantial evidence about the rush here. Uh you know, it was three days from the time uh, Governor Murphy signed the law until Monmouth Park was taking bets. It was three days. That's pretty fast by any standards. Um, you know, this is the first venture for FanDuel and Meadowlands. There's a learning curve there, obviously. That being said, I, I have a hard time chalking it up to that. This is we're talking about. We talked last week about what a the the group of companies that are coming together to create this sports betting product at, at Meadowlands. This is Patty Power Betfair and, and FanDuel. And I have to believe that there's somebody in that company that knows better than this. I, 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 I don't, I don't believe we can just attribute this to them moving too fast. I think it's just a plain oversight. The way that we look at this and the way that I look at this, and I think that you guys are probably in agreement from a little bit of our talking before we went live on the show here was the, the main issue is that they paid some people out and didn't pay other people out. If you close the sports book at 1am now, whether you agree with them closing at 1am or not, that's something we can talk about as well. But if if you have decided to close at 1 a.m., there can't be a policy of, well, we might pay some people and, you know, if we have the money left over, we'll do that. And if not, then we won't. And we say when we have the money left over, the vault closes at one o'clock in the morning. So what, basically whatever is left in the drawers is really the only cash available. So if somebody had a, act, a pretty massive ticket or anything like that, most likely the scenario would be that they wouldn't have the cash on hand to pay said person, which is why this this becomes an issue. So, you know, Brett, to me, it seems like the just it should just be a teaching moment at this at this juncture where moving forward, if the time you have set is one o'clock in the morning, if it's one a.m. East Coast time, it doesn't matter if there's four games and extra innings on the West Coast. It does not matter if a game is two outs from being from being finished. When one a.m. hits, you're closing those windows. You're not accepting bets. You're not paying out tickets. And that's just the way it's got to be. Am I, am I right or am I wrong here? 
No, I think you're right. Like, doesn't don't these issues hap, happen in in sports books in, in Las Vegas sometimes? Like, this seems like a human error. This is not a systemic flaw. Uh, although I do think there are things at the book I would change as they are right now. Uh, they have these rules laid out. The one o'clock closing time is is listed all over the property. So this this doesn't feel too out of line to me. The one o'clock closing time itself, I have issue with. I don't understand. You've got sports bars on site open until two a.m. Why not keep a betting window open until two? That way you're almost certainly going to be able to pay out the, the late games that finish on the West Coast. Plus, you're giving winners time to look at the next day's lines and fire some more bets if they want to. I mean, this is this is all about customer experience. We're in the early going here. You want to keep these fans around. Uh, if I'm in the building to watch a game that I bet on. I want to be able to cash a winning ticket if I stick around to watch the game end. And this this closing time at one is is kind of ludicrous to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I look at it from the standpoint that if you if you move it to two o'clock and it basically if last call for liquor is at two o'clock anyway, then you basically eliminate any and all confusion. Right. I mean, if the bar is closing it to the windows are closing it to you can't get any more drinks at two. everything closes, everything's done at two. And further with that, you are pretty much going to put yourself at a at a at a, about a 90 percent clip that the West Coast games are going to be finished. Yes, there's going to be marathon games every now and then this game happened to go into the 16th inning. Like if a game goes into the 16th inning, it certainly might go, you know, till after 11 o'clock Pacific time out here. But those are few and far between. But several games are three hours long. You know, the, when we're talking about first pitch being at 705 uh, West Coast time, several games go to 10 o'clock and and i know this i live out here i watch a ton of games so eric to me it seems like a very simple thing is one you have a talk with your people that closing time means closing time and two probably a very simple thing you move everything back to two o'clock and not only do you satisfy the games getting over but like uh like brett said i think what you've done here as well is you're good you're doing what's good for business because you're allowing people who've made that trip over from new york to go ahead and place a bet for the next day yeah, and this is actually where, you know, I do think that it's a somewhat serious issue because we're talking about these hard and fast rules. There need to be these hard and fast rules where we're dealing with a regulated product. There's no reason to be improvising these sorts of things. And I'm not sure the message is getting across in the same, uh, you know, this same situation. Dennis Drazen from Monmouth Park uh, made a comment that Monmouth Park uh, sort of judges the crowd to to determine their closing time. If there's enough people there watching the game, they'll they'll keep the windows open a little later. And if there's not, they'll kick people out. That you know, we just can't have that. I it's too bad Dustin's not here because he's really fired up about this today. It, it it's just not a good look. It's not a big deal, but it's something that really just can't happen going forward. Right. It, it's the it's not necessarily so much that the vault closes at one o'clock and that they had made the decision for the vault to close at one. It's the fact that some people got paid and other people didn't. And now you're looking around going like, well, why the hell didn't I get paid? And this guy right. got paid and what, you know, and now it creates all sorts of confusion and, and whatnot. It, you know, it should just be a very strict policy. I mean, it's the, it, you should treat it like, like a bar, right? I mean, if you were, you know, where, when I grew up in college, last call was at two o'clock, like you could not serve an yep. alcoholic drink after two o'clock for fear that, you you know, you were going to get some kind of fine, some kind of you should treat this like this. If you've established a time, uh, it didn't matter if the, if the bar was full by the time most of the time the bar was full. But you couldn't I mean, you, you if you would have wanted to continue to serve alcohol till four o'clock in the morning, but you couldn't do that. So I think you just have to look at it that if you set whatever the time is, whatever arbitrary time it is. Now, listen, there's no 
we can't tell these people how late to stay open. We're just giving suggestions here. The suggestion would be probably two o'clock sir, solves a whole bunch of your problems. But if you if you look at it, say you decide it's 10 o'clock, whatever in the hell you decide it is, you just have to stick to that hour. And it has to be a thing where as soon as it hits 10 o'clock, you're putting up the close sign on that window and you're starting to clean up and go home for the night. Yeah, is somebody, yeah it was is somebody there with a winning ticket that didn't get paid. I start. I start to question the motivations of the book too, especially a new book. Like, are, are they forcing me to come back and get into the track right. another day? It's yeah. These things need to be cleared up. And you know, the other thing I just happened to notice following the Twitter conversation of this, I'm noticing a regulator from Washington state, a very anti-gambling state is retweeting this, this issue. So, you know, states that are on the fringes or states that are looking in on this issue. Again, it's just, it, it's just really bad optics from the yeah. outside looking in. Yeah, absolutely. And this is kind of one of the things us being, you know, obviously gambling advocates, us being people that can understand a clear path to this working in the United States. One of the things we hate to see is just anything that gives people ammunition on the other side, when especially something as small as this. Now, one of the things that could certainly put an end to all this and, you know, people were asking me, well, Matt, what time do the books close in Vegas and, and everything? And I got to be honest with you, I haven't set foot inside of a book when I'm not doing some programming and stuff in there in a very long time because we have mobile betting here. And one of the things that would solve this, obviously, is the mobile aspect because you would just be paid out on your app. So even if you were in, you know, even if you lived in New York you could place your bet at, you know, you could go and cross the state line, get into New Jersey, place your bet and then go back home. And then you would be play, you'd be paid out on your app. And so it really solves the majority of these type of problems that we're talking about. So we're kind of like making this into a huge, huge deal that really, as soon as mobile comes out, could be solved by somebody going up and, and getting the app downloaded and, and making a deposit on their account. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't really have quite a good timeline for that yet either. We keep talking about mobile betting in different states. It seems like it's coming here within the next couple of days or weeks, but still no firm timeline for that in New Jersey. Get it going, New Jersey. Get it going, guys. I mean, seriously, it's going to ease your pains. You're going to love how this all works. I mean, there will it will <laughs> the lines will be shorter. Everything will be great. You will love the fact. And, and honestly, it really does increase handle exponentially because I bet on things that I would never in a million years go to the window myself to bet on. But if it's convenient sitting in the palm of my hand, I will definitely do that. The World Series of Poker wrapped up as we talked about, and they put out some numbers here, guys. And, you know, we talked about the, the, the main event, the second biggest of all time, but a bunch of, of records were actually set at the World Series this year. The most total entrance, which was 123,865 unique entrance uh, entered events this year, prize pool of 266 plus million 18,105 people cashed this year. Uh, looking at the largest flight in main event history, 4,571. They had the largest non-hold'em field size. That was in the 365 PLO Giant tournament. They had the largest seniors event that had 5,918 people enter. The online event had 2,972 people. That's the 365. That was the largest 25K PLO event as well this year. Uh, most events with $1 million prize pool or more. Uh, most $4,000 fields. I mean, most 4,000 person fields in World Series of Poker. That was nine events had 4,000 or more people. Most Chinese bracelet winners in a single year. They had three bracelets this year after only having 
one in the first 48 years of the WSOP and the most unique countries to win a bracelet. Players from 18 different countries won bracelets at this year's series, which is pretty interesting. Um, Colombia and the Philippines won a bracelet. That was the first ever for those two countries as well. Guys, now I'm not going to sit here and say poker's back. It seems like every everything that we do in gambling, like even talking about this, the, you know, the FanDuel Sportsbook thing, everybody wants to make everything so huge. Everything needs to be so massive. It can't just be a topic of conversation without being something so incredibly huge. But, you know, you look at these numbers, and I, again, I'm not jumping up and down saying, oh, this is poker's back. You're going to see another boom. But you do have to look at this and think that as online gaming and specifically poker starts to kind of get going in at least a few more states, which we are at least fairly optimistic will happen in the next couple of years. I could see poker making a comeback, not nearly to the proportions that we saw during the quote unquote moneymaker boom, but certainly a comeback that could, that could probably break even some of these records that the world series set uh, this, this past summer. Yeah, look, the the growth here in attendance is great, especially the main event. I was not expecting that. It's obviously better than a decline. But the important thing to keep in mind here is that the World Series of Poker loves to pat itself on the back every year when these numbers come out. They are always inflated because there are always more bracelet events than ever before. There were more online events than ever before this year. There was It was the first time people could ever play from New Jersey this year. And there were more re-entry events available this year, too. So the totals here are, like I said, there are, they are inflated, whatever. I, I know why the WSOP spins it this way, but I always snicker over, over these press releases and, and the way they do spin it. Overall, though, this is very good for the industry, especially when you consider the growth of the other tournament series taking place in Las Vegas during the summer as well. I think it's fair to say the live poker in Las Vegas during the summer is in a very good place. How dare you discount China getting three gold bracelets in the Columbia and the, in the Philippines getting their first no, bracelets that, this year? That, How that dare part, you? <laughs> that part is very cool. And, and our Steve Ruddick wrote a great piece about the, uh, the global growth at the world series of poker this year that uh, you can check out. But, um, yeah, I just, I, I always giggle when uh, we get these WSOP press releases after the series ends. Eric, $25,000 PLO event, 230 entries in that thing. Are more people just hashtag rich or are more people gambling or what's going on? Like, why in the hell are, does that tournament of all tournaments set a record this year? More people play in PLO. I don't know. Remember, this is a fairly new tournament. I, it's been around, what, two or three years, I think. So uh, still some room for growth. Yeah. And, you know, you. I, these this is very encouraging things like this. The mixed games uh, turnouts up. You and I talked about some potential room for for exploration in the future. We now have short deck poker becoming a thing uh, in the industry. Maybe something WSOP can explore in the future too. So there's, like you know, I'm with I'm with Brett. I very carefully parse these sorts of uh, of news releases, and most of these stats are really throwaway stats. The the most entrance and things like that. But some of these little individual uh, records, the most million dollar first place, uh, the increase in the 25k PLO. Some of these things are are really, really good, good little line items. Brett, what is the if you're setting a line as to there being a short deck event next year at the World Series, what, what would that line be? I'm almost at like plus 105. I almost think it's even money that is going to happen. Well, I think it might depend on regulators. I, I I don't know if you can like manipulate a deck as the rules allow right now. I think that might be something that uh, the casinos are working on. But if that if that does change, I think it's almost a lock. I think short deck could blow up 
in uh, in the U.S. Such an incredible action game. If you guys are not familiar with Short Deck, uh, one, as you're listening to this podcast, you can always go to the Triton Poker Twitch page. There is a a series going on right now and will be for the next few days if you want to pick it up there. But all the twos, threes, fours, and fives, and is it sixes as well or just two, three, fours, and fives? I think it's two, three, fours, and fives. Yeah, two, three, fours, yes. and fives yeah. are, uh, are all removed from the deck. So obviously makes for a lot more action, a lot more hands getting made and things like that. And uh, honestly, I've been watching for the last few nights um, some of these streams and everything. And I, I'm actually intrigued, guys. I got to admit, I'm, I'm pretty intrigued. I like the action. I like that the hands are all seem like they're good. It seems like every single hand <laughs> is live and every single in, in every single pot played. It's just it's crazy. Um, it, it, the only difference uh, as far as things go is that a flush actually beats a full house because whenever you remove those things it's very very tough to to get a flush so a flush actually beats a full house in that game which you would have to trick your mind into into understanding and a couple of different times I found myself wondering why guys were drawing for things that they were drawing for and realized that they were you know pretty much drawing at the nuts which I didn't I didn't really get in my head but a pretty entertaining game and and Eric I, I think like like Brett said I mean if if there's if there's any regulatory hurdles, I think they'll probably start to work on that. And uh, I can definitely see it being a thing. A hundred percent. And it's not just that either. We, you know, big blind ante is catching on now. We'll see a lot more of that next year. There's there's always a new format. You know, it'll, it's short deck right now. In a couple of years, it'll it'll be something else. Uh, so but yeah, right now I. I'm with you. This is a it's a really exciting format to watch. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Uh, a couple of individual records were set at the World Series as well. This is one you probably don't want to have. This is the most caches at the World Series of Poker without a win. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you ask anybody in the poker media industry who this player was, I guarantee you all of us could name who this is. I mean, I mean, 84 caches without a win. Six more caches in, in 2018. Brett, do you know who it is? Actually, I haven't looked. I mean, it, I, it's got a, it's one of like three guys. It's 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 either Alan Kessler or I think I saw something about Roland Israeli Javili. And then Tony Cousineau is the one that's just like that guy never wins anything. Got him. And that's it. Eighty four. Eighty four caches for Tony Cousineau without a win. Six more caches in 2018 without a win. Man, 84. Yeah, 84 times. That is uh, that is rough. Another record that was set. And, uh, you know, before you boo and hiss, whatever, it's a record. It happened. It is what it is. Uh, most caches in a single World Series goes to Chris Ferguson. He cashed 18 times this summer. He reached two final tables and had over a quarter million in tournament earnings. Listen, I don't care what your personal feelings are about different things like that. If we're talking strictly what happened on the felt, uh, cashing 18, cashing in general is hard. Cashing 18 times in a World Series is crazy. Uh, that Listen, it's a tip of the hat for the poker playing ability of Chris Ferguson. Now, what you think of him as a person and businessman and all that, obviously, is, is completely different. But I'm sure there's a lot of people that we would probably not like on a personal level that we that we still marvel at in whatever their chosen thing is i'm sure there's a ton of athletes who are complete assholes there's tons of musicians who are probably complete assholes and we still like their music and we still watch these guys play so just because we know intimately the whole chris ferguson thing doesn't mean we should discount the fact that this guy is still crushing at the table you know 20 years later and well, remember thing, he like, was, oh, go ahead 
he 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 was gone for six years, essentially out of the limelight. You know, from from Black Friday through uh, through last year, he vanished while the game was still progressing, and people will st- were still getting better at poker. So, to me, that's the most impressive thing was that last year he just came right back in, and and it was like he never left. And then you know to follow last summer up with with another really amazing summer summer this summer, I, it's awesome. He, he's he's every bit the player he was uh, before 2011. It looks like. Yeah, and and you talked about some of the assholes in the game, and there are a lot of them. Chris Chris Ferguson is not an asshole. He's he's been nothing but pleasant, even after all of this, and he's taken so much heat from players, which is probably deserved. But at the same time, I think I feel like he's he's handled it with grace, and you got to respect him for that. Yeah, I mean, Amen. I just I just look at it with these guys. I mean, these guys just got into something that that grew way too big for them, and they were bad businessmen. They were not businessmen. They were poker players, and they lucked into something that was that was huge. And they didn't know how to control it and it got out of control and they should have been smart enough to bring in someone who is a proven seasoned CEO, a proven seasoned person to run the business. And they, they didn't do it. And, you know, listen, they're bad businessmen. It happens on Wall Street every single day. Right. I mean, and so it's just one of those things. Of course, Phil Hellmuth, we talked about that one, his 15th bracelet. He also upped his all-time caches and final tables um, record as well. He's the individual all-time leader in caches with 138, and he had eight more in 2018 there. So tip, I would tip the cap to Phil Helmuth, but he's already tipped his own cap like 500 million times already. So, I mean, I don't think we need to, right? It's just kind of like, congrats. We'll just give him a congrats. Please don't make. I think two weeks ago I argued that he's the best no limit hold'em tournament player in the world. Please don't make me do that again. That was hard enough for the first time. Yeah. So we'll just we'll just say congrats. I'm sure Phil has already has already today already patted himself on the back. So no worries there. Um, as we get out of here, there is football season right around the corner. As we talk about, and of course we're keeping an eye on that when it comes to sports betting. But of course DFS, it's a big big time for them as well. They make the majority of their money during football season. Football season is just much easier for the casual player to play because it only happens once a week. You don't have to keep up with stuff on a on a daily basis and lineups on a daily basis and last minute scratches and different things like that. You're basically playing the one week contests on Sunday and you see a lot of casual players get in. So DraftKings has released their first NFL contest of the year. It's a $3 buy-in. It is a 20 entry max with a $2 million guarantee, 200000 dollars is going to go to first place in that contest brett and i got to looking around a little bit did a little snooping this morning and we did find out that uh on this contest compared to last year the the rate did go up pretty much a full percentage point uh from 14.99 to 15.89 uh, you know, Brett, this is not something that we haven't seen pretty much. It happened in, in, in NBA. It happened in MLB. So you knew it was going to happen in NFL as well. But uh, pretty interesting that it's a, a tournament like this, that, that they're going to bump a full percentage point, uh, you know, when they're when they're raking the hell out of this tournament as it is really anyway. Yeah, it's it's been happening. But when does it stop? Like, what what, what is the cap here for rake? Because these games are are they even beatable anymore? I, I, I mean, you've got to. I, I, I don't, I don't you, know. You've got to bank every now. I, I mean, I think you've got to. You've got to get a well in a tournament this size, right? I mean, we're talking seven hundred and ninety-two thousand entries. So, I mean, you've got to get a top two hundred and fifty finish in this every now and then in order to. I would say even break even. 
I mean, you're investing $60, right? So it's not like, uh, you know, the 150 entry contest or something like that. Right. So if you can get a top 200 finish, you're probably going to get four figures with that. And then at that point, you're, you know, you're doing pretty good, I would imagine, for the rest of that season. But I mean, you know, getting 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 top 200 out of 792,000 is uh, certainly not easy. No, th- and this turn, look, this tournament is going to be fun. It's huge. It's only $3 to enter. I will be playing it, and I don't typically play on DraftKings. This tournament is just awesome. But this this 15.9% rake is it's not just for this event. I mean, it, it's this is pretty much the standard for all these the low buy-in contests on DraftKings, and I just it's it's tough to swallow, and it's it's the reason I don't play on these on DraftKings and Fanduel anymore because the rake has just climbed so quickly. Yeah, and you know, Eric, back in the day playing online poker, whenever you would sit down and if you wanted to play a tournament or if you wanted to play a sit and go, you played a five plus fifty, or you played a ten plus one, or you played a twenty plus two, and it was clearly outlined right there for you, and you knew exactly off the top what you were paying in rake. I mean, even WSOP.com right now you play a $10 tournament and you actually have to click on it first before you see that it's actually, you know, a $9 and 20 tournament, $9, 20 cent tournament and 80 cents is going towards the rake. So it's not, you know, it's not just the DFS companies. Everyone has kind of done their best to hide that whole rake thing and not put it right in front of your face. I don't really know if that's the best policy. Did, did you seeing the rake ever really prevent you from entering anything? Because for me, it never did. I just understood that I was paying rake. I understood how rake worked and I knew that for them to provide the product, I was going to be paying rake. So I don't know if this hiding of the rake is really all that necessary. Yeah. I, you know, none of us do play DFS for a living. So our lives don't, you know, hang on the, the small percentage points of rake here, but I'm with you too. I, it sucks. I hate it. Brett asked what the limit is. The limit is when these contests stop filling, then they will stop raking this much. And I think all three of us are probably going to fire off our 20 entries in this because it's there and there's 200 K up top. So yeah, it's a combination of, uh, of just just desire for action and, uh, maybe a little ignorance from customers that don't uh, know how to find out what the rake is, and certainly some um, some clever clever lobby maneuvering from from DraftKings by the way they post these buy-ins. That that part really does bother me. I I don't like the way they obscure the rake. Now, Brett, you play a lot on Yahoo, and you were telling me that it's much more transparent over there. Yeah, I that's where most of my volume of DFS is now because Yahoo is. Yahoo's on the up and up. I mean, they have taken a very different path, I feel like, than DraftKings and FanDuel and that everything is transparent. Um, there, there are limits to the – well, obviously there are, are limits to the number of entries you can have. I think that the max is 10 in most of their, their big – well, not big, but their, their tournaments, which are much smaller than DraftKings and FanDuel. But uh, – the, the rake is also right in front of you as you enter a contest. It's it's right there. A management fee, uh, usually between 10 and 12 percent, which is much lower than DraftKings and FanDuel. They also have contests. Uh, they have contests where you can't play uh, against new players. They have veteran. Uh, this is something that DraftKings and, and FanDuel have now as well. But uh, I think Yahoo was the first to really start pushing the, the veteran uh, tag and, and, you know, keeping the, the sharks away from the fish, which really, uh, was one of the, the huge negatives against DraftKings and Fandle there a couple of years ago. Yeah. And if you guys play over at DraftKings, you will notice starting yesterday, you no longer get 
FPPs, frequent player points. You now get crowns, guys. If you if you are playing, they revamped their they revamped their whole rewards program over there. A hundred crowns gets you bronze status. Two five hundred crowns gets you silver status. Two thousand gets you gold status. Ten thousand gets you platinum status. Twenty five thousand gets you diamond status, and then. 125,000 crowns per month and you can get that black status where I think you get all kinds of free entries into all kinds of crazy stuff and things like that but if you are if you're you know if you're getting 125,000 uh in buy-in per month you deserve probably every perk that they give you for those for that black status so uh props to those guys out there that are putting in that much volume when it comes down to it they're also doing experience points so we were always, you know, they've had the badges for a while. Basically, what goes what goes down now is every contest you enter and depending on how well you do and things like that, you can get experience points and you can get up to 90 different badges. Um, so stuff like that. So they're trying to get like gamify a little bit and, and, and whatnot. And, you know, listen, that's that's all fine and dandy. I don't care if they call them crowns or FPPs or if I'm getting experience points or whatever it is. But if you want to check that out, you can go over to uh playpicks.com we have a breakdown of it there as to how that new rewards program looks over there at DraftKings. now before we get out of here eric i saw on legal sports report that you put up that you did have one story that went live this morning on Penn national uh can you give us the breakdown there before we head out of here for the weekend yeah Penn national is um growing they're expanding they just acquired pinnacle entertainment a big casino company they have a presence in uh most immediately for us, Pennsylvania, Mississippi, and West Virginia, three states that uh, are on the verge of legal sports betting. So Penn National will be offering sports betting in those three states likely by the end of the year. Also learned today that it has uh, an appetite for, for uh, or we've learned over the last couple of weeks, that it has an appetite for online gambling starting in Pennsylvania. So, um, yeah, Penn National starting down this road of becoming a much larger, uh, much more ambitious gaming company than it, than it was in the past everybody looking to it seems like there's you know consolidation is in the air right it looks like there's some stuff going on a lot of stuff going on even here in nevada with a lot of casino uh, casino companies kind of buying up the smaller ones and and whatnot as we kind of move towards this this new new world of gaming regulations and 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 sports betting and online and different things like that so pretty interesting times and guys we really appreciate you being here each and every week to go through all of this with us and as we mentioned if you want the nuts and bolts of all this and how everything breaks down head over to legalsportsreport.com head over to onlinepokerreport.com head to thelines.com playpennsylvania.com playpicks.com all of these sites are keeping you up to date with everything that's going on in the gaming industry and you will not be disappointed. I can promise you that. And if you are, be sure and let Dustin Galker know at Dustin Galker on Twitter, <laughs> because he is the person to complain to about all of this stuff and not any of us, because we're just here. We're just the conduits, guys. This is all the, this is all that we are. And I have to admit two podcasts in a row, episode number 13, episode number 14, probably my favorite without Dustin being here. You guys were amazing. <laughs> you guys were absolutely amazing. Oh, you, you too, buddy. I mean, seriously. Now, Eric, if people want to find you on the Twitter machine, how do they do that? I am Eric underscore Ramsey. And Brett, if they want to find you for your one tweet a week, where do they find you? 
Man, Eric, what the, you got to get rid of that underscore, man. I keep screwing yeah, that I up wish, when, I'm, man. when I'm tagging you in tweets. There, I always screw that there's up. Some, is, there's, there's, some a, there's an Swedish, Eric Ramsey already. There is a Swedish musician that hasn't posted a tweet since 2009. I'm pretty sure this person is deceased. May he or she rest. But yes, this I it's it, this Twitter handle is locked up indefinitely because of this Swedish musician. Oh, man. I'm sorry. That is that is unfortunate. Hey, I know you the think people it's bothering at Twitter. You. Listen, think of how listen, much it bothers me. Listen, I know the people at Twitter listen to this podcast as well. People at Twitter, the good people of Twitter, give about, give Eric give guys, Eric his rightful Twitter handle. Give it to him. He, how he about deserves you guys it. Just add underscores. It'd make me feel better if you would just add <laughs> underscores to match. How about that? Yeah, I mean, listen. Here's the thing: you provide more to the Twitterverse than this guy that hasn't tweeted since 2009. <laughs> you deserve your rightful rightful handle. I'm going to start an online petition and we're going to get you that handle. I'm, I'm, this is how this is going to go. All right, go. let's go. Let's we'll campaign. set a line by, by this time next year, you will have no underscore oh, in your, in your Twitter. Let's go. Yeah. Let's do it. I that would make it. me really happy. Honestly. I love it guys. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Matt Brown M two. And we thank you very much for being here. We will see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>